Chapter 3 of The Boy Scouts on Sturgeon Island. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Brash. The Boy Scouts on Sturgeon Island by Herbert Carter. Chapter 3 The Camp on the Lake Shore. Why, it's only a big owl, shouted Giraffe. Hey, Davy, shake hands with your yellow-eyed panther, roared Step Hen. Bumpus snatched up his bugle, for he held that office in the Cranford Troop, and let out a piercing series of blasts that would have undoubtedly frightened any wild animal, had there been such within a mile of the camp on the lake shore. It was a large owl that Thad grasped in such fashion that the bird could not reach him with its curved beak though it made several vicious lunges, as though anxious to fight the whole patrol at once. He had kept it hidden under his coat when descending the tree, and now gripped it firmly by its two splendidly colored wings. "'Well, it, it did have yellow eyes, all right,' complained the dejected Davy. "'And as it stuck there in the black hole, how was I to know it was only a harmless old owl, a hooter at that?' If you think he's harmless, just try and lay a finger on him, said Thad. Why, he'd snap you up like lightning. Once let that beak strike, and you'd lose a piece of skin as big as a half dollar. He's a savage bird, let me warn you. Oh, say, can't we? Keep him for a pet? ejaculated Bumpus, who could hardly take his eyes off the bird, for its plumage was certainly beautiful, being a combination of creamy yellows and nut browns while two bunches stuck up like horns from the region of his ears. I've got a nice little chain we might put around one of his legs, and what fun we'd have with the thing while we were afloat on the raging lake, Step Hen went on to say. Alan, get on that thick pair of gloves we brought, and see if you could fasten the chain to his leg. It'd be worthwhile to have some sort of pet along with us, because Bumpus has kicked over the traces long ago and won't let us make a baby out of him any more, Thad went on to remark. When he had protected his hand in this way, Alan had little difficulty in adjusting the slender but strong steel chain which Step Hen had brought with him, intending to use in case he managed to capture a raccoon or some other small beast, for he was especially fond of pets. When they had fastened the other end of the chain to something, the owl sat on the limb of a tree and gazed at them with blinking eyes. There was still enough of daylight with all that glow in the western heavens to interfere with his sight, more or less, and he simply ruffled up his feathers in high dungeon and kept trying to pick at the chain that held his leg. "'Now that's what I call a pretty good start,' argued Step Hen as he stood in front of the chained owl and admired his plumage. "'Perhaps later on I might happen to land a coon or a mink or who knows. I've always believed that I like to have a pet mink.' though somebody told me they couldn't be tamed. Yes, went on Giraffe scornfully. If you had your way, the whole boat would be a floating menagerie. You've got such a liking for pets. The mink would soon be joined by a possum. Then would come a pair of muskrats, after which we'd expect to find a fox under our feet every time we stepped. A wolverine growling like fun at us when we made the least move. A squirrel climbing all over us. A heron perched on the garboard streak whatever that might be, and maybe a baby bear rolling on the deck. All them things are possible once Step Hen gets started on his collecting stunt. Well, 
For, forget it now, won't you, giraffe? Because there goes Bumpus putting supper on the fire. And unless you look sharp, he'll just cut down your ration till you'll only get as much as any two of us, advised Step Hen. In spite of all these little encounters of wit and the sharp things that were sometimes said boy fashion, these six churns were as fond of each other as any lads could possibly be. There was hardly anything they would not have done for one another, given the opportunity. And this had been proved many times in the past. While they were fond of joking the tall scout on his appetite, truth to tell, every one of the others could display a pretty good stowage capacity when it came to disposing of the meals. And so they were all anxious to help Bumpus when he started getting the camp supper ready. Besides these six lads, there were, of course, two others who went to make up the full complement of the Silver Fox Patrol, and who have figured in previous stories of this series. These boys were named Robert Quail White, who was Southern-born, and went by the name of Bob White among his friends, and Edmund Maurice Travers Smith, conveniently shortened to plain Smithy. These two had taken a different route to the lake, and expected to meet their six churns at a given rendezvous, they were intending also to make use of another boat, since the one engaged for the party would only accommodate seven at a pinch, and counting the scoutmaster, they would have numbered nine individuals in all. The other two had found that they wanted to see the wonderful So Canal, and the rapids that the St. Mary River boasts at that point, where the pent-up waters of Superior rush through the St. Mary's River to help swell the other Great Lakes, and eventually pass through the St. Lawrence River to the sea. It is no joke cooking for half a dozen hungry scouts, and the one whose duty compelled him to be chef for a day had to count on filling the capacity of coffee pot and frying pans, of which latter there were two. Evening had settled down upon them by the time they were ready to eat the supper of Boston baked beans, fried onions with steak that had been procured at the last town they had passed through, crackers, some bread that one of them toasted to a beautiful brown color alongside the fire, and almost scorched his face in the bargain, and the whole flanked by the coffee which was, like ambrosia, their absent chum Smithy would have said, until they dashed some of the contents of the evaporated cream into each tin cup, along with the lumps of sugar. This is what I call living, sighed Giraffe, as he craned his neck visibly in the endeavor to see whether there was a third helping left in the pan for manners, which was another name for Conrad Stedman. "'Hadn't we better save this piece of steak for Tim?' suggested Step Hen wickedly, for that was the name he had given to the captive owl. "'No, you don't,' objected Giraffe vociferously, just as the other had known he would do. "'That's the very last beefsteak we're apt to see for half a moon, and I say it would be a shame to waste it on a heathen bird.' Besides, you couldn't coax Jim to take a bite till he's nearly starved. Ain't that so, Thad? They always appealed to either the assistant scoutmaster or Alan whenever any question like this came up, connected with bird or animal lore. And no matter how puzzling the matter might seem to the one who asked, it was promptly answered in nearly every instance. Yes, he isn't likely to take hold for a day or two, replied Thad. By that time... The old fellow will sort of get used to seeing us about, and he won't refuse to eat when you put something out for him. Only all of you be careful that he don't prefer a piece out of your hand. Don't trust him, ever. You can make up your mind, I won't give him a chance to grab me, asserted Bumpus, never dreaming that by accident he would be the very first to feel the force of that curved beak. 
Listen, exclaimed Stepan. As sure as anything, there's another. Why, this might be what you might call owl land. From far away in the timber came the plain sound of hooting. All of the scouts knew what it was easily enough. Though there had been a time when they were real tender feet, and could hardly distinguish between the call of an owl and the braying of a donkey. But camping out experience had done away with all such ignorance as that. There, don't that make you feel foolish, Stephen? demanded Bumpus. Me? Whatever put that silly notion into your head, Bumpus? Why, the other went on to say reproachfully, it was you that really wanted to keep the poor old bird, and just listen to its mate mourning for it, would you? I'd think you'd feel so sorry you'd want to unfasten that chain right away and give the owl its freedom. Not for Joseph. Though I'd let you go and undo his chain if you feel inclined that way, Stephend observed, knowing full well that Bumpus did not want to see the feathered captive set free quite that bad. Besides, how'd you know that's a mate to my bird whooping it up back there? Well, if you want to find out, just you sleep with one eye open, Bumpus told him. And take it from me, you'll see that other owl come winnowing around here, wanting to know why our new pet don't come when she calls. Huh, maybe I will, was all Stephen would say about it. But evidently the idea had appealed to him, and there was a chance that he would indulge in very little rest that night, for trying to keep one eye open while he slept. After supper was all over, and the boys lay around on their blankets, they fell to talk of other days when they had been in company and met with a great many surprising adventures. Then Bumpus, who really had a very fine tenor voice, which you could strain so as to sing soprano like a bird, was coaxed to favor them with a number of selections, the others coming in heavy in each chorus. Sometimes it was a popular ballad of the day that Bumpus gave them, but more often a school chorus or it might be some tender Scotch song like Coming Through the Rye, Annie Laurie, or Twickenham Ferry, for boys can appreciate such sentiments more than most folks believe, and especially when in, in an open-air camp with the breeze sighing through the trees around them, or the waves murmuring as they wash the sandy shore of a lake, and the moonlight throwing a magical spell upon all their surroundings, for there is the seed of romance in the heart of nearly every healthy lad. So the evening wore on until some of them began to yawn frequently, showing that they were ready to turn in. As one of them had said, this might be the last time they would camp ashore during trip, because on the morrow they anticipated, unless something unforeseen came up to prevent it, going aboard their boat, and starting on the cruise upon the big waters of Superior. They had no tent on this occasion, but really that was not going to prove any hardship to these bold lads, accustomed to spending many a night in the woods, with only a blanket for a cover against the dew and frost. It was arranged to keep the fire going. This would serve in a double capacity, for not only would they be kept warm through the cold part of the night, but if there did happen to be any wild beasts around in that section of the Lake Superior country, which both Alan and Thad rather doubted, why, the glow of the blaze was apt to make them keep their distance. The last thing Giraffe remembered as his heavy eyes persisted in closing was seeing Step Hen bob up his head to stare over toward the low branch upon which the captive owls fastened, as though he might have arranged a program with himself and meant to do this thing at stated intervals all through the night.
Giraffe chuckled at the idea of sacrificing good sleep in the interest of knowledge. He was willing to simply ask someone who knew, and be satisfied to accept their answer as conclusive. An hour later, and the camp seemed to be all quiet, for everyone was apparently sound asleep. Even Thad and Alan had known of no reason why a watch should be maintained, for they felt sure there could hardly be a human being within miles of the camp. And even if this were not so, the chances were strongly in favor of its proving to be an honest farmer, or some miner on his way to the workings further west. The only sounds that could have been heard from time to time were an occasional peevish fretful croak from the captive owl, as it continued to peck savagely at the chain around its leg, or it might be a snore from Bumpus, or some other fellow who had a fashion of lying squarely on his back. Perhaps pretty soon, when one of the scouts had been kept awake by this noise until patience ceased to be a virtue, he would get quietly up and pour a tin cup of lake water over the one who persisted in sleeping with his mouth wide open, for that sort of radical remedy had proven effective on other occasions, and brought relief. It must have been almost midnight when a sudden change came about that took even the seasoned campers by surprise, for they had not been anticipating any such startling event. The stillness was broken by a piercing scream that caused every head to bob up, and the blankets to be hurriedly thrown aside. "'My owl's mate has come in on us, maybe!' exclaimed Step Hen, for that idea was so firmly lodged in his brain that it had to occur to him as soon as he heard all that row. But some of the others were wiser, for they knew that shout had surely come from human lips." Giraffe was the first to call out and draw their attention to certain facts. Looky there at old Bumpus dancing a jig, will you? Whatever ails the fella, do you think? Acts like he's clean gone out of his head and got loony, he cried, as with the other boys he came tumbling out from under the rude shelter made of branches. End of chapter 3